ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide, lead, and help us to see what you would want us to see from all of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're in John 8. I'm going to start reading in uh, John 30, uh, verse 39, just to get the uh, text to where we're at, because we left it kind of an interesting place, because we're going to be on chapter, uh, verse 41. So, and they answered and, answered and said, the, the scribes and Pharisees, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, If you were Abraham's children, then you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If, you were, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I... Of myself but he sent me why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word you are of your father the devil and the lust of your father you do he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks his own of his own for he is a liar and the father of it and because I tell you the truth you believe me not which of you convinced convinces me of sin and if I say the truth why do you not believe me he that is of God hears God's words you therefore hear them not because you are not of God all right Jesus is having some very interesting conversations with these guys and he's not he's not backing off so he said he began to them and saying you're not of your father and they go Abraham is our father they're trying to claim we are Jews Therefore, we are the descendants of Abraham. All right. And Jesus is making his point of you may be physical descendants of Abraham, but you are not spiritual descendants of Abraham. You are not living the way Abraham would have. You are not following Abraham the way you should. Therefore, you are not his children is his, his argument. All right, they are physically his children, but not spiritually his children. And, and he says, if you do, the, you do the deeds of your father, and now they come back at him and they say, we are not born of fornication, we are, we are one father, even God. Now this is an attack on Jesus. Jesus' reputation is known to these people that his mother claimed to be a virgin. And they're having the same attitude everybody else would have. Of course, you're, of course you're the virgin. Sure you are. You know, you just don't want to be condemned and, and stoned for your fornication. So this is their attitude of Jesus. Jesus, you are a bastard child. Get, you know, who do you think you are to tell us anything? All right. Uh, in our world, it's not that big a deal to not have a father. But in that day and age, and even back, you know, 60, 70 years ago, it was a big deal to not have an intact family and have be born out of wedlock. And so they're coming back at Jesus with this, uh, uh, we're not born of fornication. We know who our father is, and it's God. And this is a two-way street. You know, he just told them they're of your father. You know, they're not of Abraham. And they're going, well, we know our father. He is God. And by the way, we're not born of fornication. Implication, you are, we're not. And we're not children of the devil. We're children of God. So it's a two-way two -way conversation as they're doing this. And then Jesus said, if, you were, if God were your father, you would love me. Now this is something that we need to really understand, and this is something that is true. When we become Christians, we tend to start loving hearing the word of God and hearing these conversations about God. And we do more and more as we get draw closer to him. But if you can remember before you became a Christian... Where was the last place you wanted to be? In church or listening to a Bible study on, on, the, on the radio or having somebody talk about God? And, you know, I've seen it. People will immediately, especially if they get in my car, can we change the channel? And go, no, it's my car. Now, I'm going to listen to what I like to listen to. And if it bothers you, you don't need to be in my car. You know, plain and simple. I enjoy listening to the preaching. All right? And... That's what Jesus is saying. If you knew the Father, you would love me, is what Jesus said. Why? Because they're the same. But, you know, this is what he's telling them. If you were spiritual, you would enjoy this. He goes, I proceeded forth and came from the Father. 
Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. So these men are the, are the leaders of the, of the temple. He's, remember, he's in the temple preaching and teaching. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the priests are the ones talking to them. And to the people, they represent themselves as being spiritual giants. You want to know how to worship God? Just look at us and we will show you how to worship God, how to, how to study the Bible, how to be obedient. But when it comes to truly spiritual things, they have no interest. Do it our way and you're okay. If you don't do it our way and, you know, don't read the Bible, don't, you know, don't understand, you know, don't follow it. And this is the way a lot of people are. They're looking for how can I please God? Give me the 10 steps, the 28 steps, the 100 steps, whatever it is you want to give me. Give me the steps to please God. Tell me what to do rather than living according to the Spirit. And this is very important for us. The Spirit leads us in different ways and teaches us what is true. And when we hear false teaching and we're spiritual, we go, ah, it doesn't sound right. And we're able to get back and say, God, Show me. And this happened to me many times over the years when I'd be listening to some teacher and I'm going, what in the world are they talking about? Especially if it was background noise and I wasn't really paying attention. All of a sudden, you know, the alarm bells, the Holy Spirit would set off alarm bells and saying, you need to pay attention to what's being put into your brain. Because all of a sudden these, you know, you know, I like to call them klaxons. You know, if you've ever been around the military bases, you know, all of a sudden the alarms go off and there's klaxons going off everywhere and, and you don't ignore them because they are so loud. And there's times when the Holy Spirit has done that to me and said, pay attention. Pay attention to what is going on around you because it is not righteous. And that could be in the church, the Christian radio station, a Christian television station, doesn't matter. There's many times when that happens. That God says, just pay attention. It's not spiritual. And it's not godly. And he goes, why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my words. So Jesus says, I am speaking. But you are not hearing or literally not understanding what I say. And again, if you go back to before you were saved, you'd read the Bible, you'd hear a message, and none of it made any sense to you. And then you get saved and all of a sudden you start reading the Bible when you're saved and things start making sense. It starts being food to you and you're going, oh, now I see. And you may not understand fully and completely, but you, it makes much more sense than before you were saved and it's just a bunch of words on paper. And this is very what he's telling them. He goes, you cannot understand my words because you are not of the Father. You're claiming to be spiritual. You're claiming to be these great leaders. But you do not understand spiritual things. And this is something that I've been found this many times in my life when I'm talking to people and they don't understand spiritual things. doesn't matter how well you explain them. You explain them and explain them and explain them and explain them and they're looking at you like, what in the world are you talking about? I don't understand anything you're talking about. And then you talk to somebody who may just be a brand new Christian and they're just eating it up. They may not fully understand it, but it's like, this is food. I, I need it. And this is what Jesus is telling them. You guys think you're leaders. You think you're spiritual. You don't understand what's being said. You cannot hear and understand. Now remember, he's saying this in the temple and he's been teaching a whole crowd. These guys have come in to try to disrupt his teaching. So in front of the crowd that think these guys are special, Jesus is explaining you guys don't know any spiritual stuff. Now this is really going to make them very happy. You know, we're the spiritual leaders and you're telling, you're telling all the people that listen to us that we don't know what we're talking about. It doesn't go over well with them. And it wouldn't go well over well with us if we were in their position. But it is the truth. They are built up on traditions and on, on what they think they know, what they have been taught. It's all head knowledge for them. There is no spiritual understanding, no truth in it. And this is one of the things we share with people oftentimes. There are many people who call themselves Christians who have a lot of knowledge about the Word of God, but no real life out of the Word of God. And they don't have never made their commitment to follow Christ and to make him their Lord. And then they'll, but they'll tell you, hey, I'm a Christian. 
And they might even win the Bible trivia game with you. But they don't know truth. And this is where it's critical for us. Do we truly know the spirit and understand truth when it's spoken? All right. And this is what Jesus is telling them. You all don't understand the truth. I am truth. You're not you're not hearing. You're not listening. You're not responding because they were filtering everything in. This is what we know. And one of the worst things you can do is get so stuck in what you think you know that you do not listen to truth. Now, on the, on the flip side of that, you don't want to get so open-minded that you get a bunch of lies into your head and think that they're truth. And there's a fine line about studying and knowing God's word and evaluating his word. And, you know, this is where our world is today. There is no truth, so just take in anything and sift through it all and find out what you think is true. And that's a dangerous place to be in. You don't want all your marbles falling out without, without thinking. And, you know, Christians are all the time accused of not being thinking people and just believing what they're told. Well, I am not one of those people. I, I realize, I go through the Bible, I study the Bible, and I think. And when I come to the conclusion, it's stuck in my mind, and you're not going to come along and shake me from it because I've studied and when I te meet the people who don't believe what I believe, I know what they're going to say. It doesn't bother me. They can believe what they want. I've, I've always believed that people have the right to be wrong. You know, unfortunately, I might have been one of those wrong once in a while. <laughs> but I've always believed that people have the right to be wrong because they stand or fall before God. Now, I will teach what I believe, and that's fine. And I've told everybody in this church, if you don't want to agree with me, the only thing I ask is if I ask you what you believe is to be able to tell me why you believe what you believe. Whether I agree with you or disagree with you is beside the point as long as you know why you believe. The thing that irritates me most in many Christians is, well, I just believe because that's what I was believe. All right, that's scary. <laughs> All right, why? What verses are you looking at to believe what you believe? Now, if you disagree with me, I know if you really thought it through, I know what verses you're going to tell me. Because there's not many doctrines that I haven't struggled with and fought with and understand both sides of the coin on. All right? There may be one or two out there, that, you know, especially small ones, but I have struggled with almost all of them and said, okay, God, this is what you say and this is what I believe. But I know what the other side says. And as long as people say... You know, I believe because of this, that's between you and God. And it's very important. Why? What have you been taught? How are you going to be taught? Now, I have the advantage. I'm pastor. I get to tell you what I believe. All right? Uh, and I'm going to teach what I believe because that's what I believe. There's no reason I'm going to teach you all the false doctrines out there that I believe are false because if you want to find them, you're going to be able to find them. All right? And if you want to find the false doctrines, be my guest, go find them. But I want to teach what I believe is true. And I can be wrong, but I have studied for 52 years, so it, it probably had a chance to be right. All right? Uh, and Jesus says, You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, this is very strong language of him. He goes, you are acting like your father. They're getting ready to kill him. They want to kill him, so they're, they've actually committed murder in their heart already. And it's not the first time they, they were able to bring John the Baptist into murder. They've killed prophets all through the history. And Jesus says, you know, you're acting like your father. He was a murderer. And he lies. And when he speaks lies, as it doesn't say it here, but in one of the other Gospels it says, and when he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. If Satan's lips are moving, he's lying. All right? And we use that joke in a lot of different, you know, professions and everything, but Satan is the father of lies. If he is speaking, he is lying to some level. And especially when you compare it to God's standard of truth. You know, God says the truth is absolute truth. You tell the whole truth. You know, I kind of think it's so funny that when you go to court, they say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. It, that statement is based on what God calls truth. I tell you what I know. Now, if you've ever been prepped by a lawyer 
to go to court, which I have been, they will tell you you answer nothing but what is asked and give them no more than what, you were, what you're asked. So you promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but then the, the lawyers tell you to not tell the truth. Now, they won't say it quite that way. They will just say, don't tell anything that you don't need to tell. But according to God, that's a lie. All right? And so, yes, we have to understand truth is different by God's standards. Because God says we are to be honest. You don't have, and Paul said it, you know, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Don't hedge your, don't hedge your bit. Don't hedge your conversation. Uh, well, you know, I thought I saw them about, uh, well, about a minute ago. It's exactly 61 seconds since I saw them. I saw them a minute ago, a little over a minute ago. Well, they, they, they were here. They were here until they walked out the door when, the, when, you, when they heard your voice. You know, uh, you know, and all of that, we look at it and go, well, you didn't lie. Yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, and how many parents teach their kids this kind of stuff? Well, tell, tell, tell this person I'm not home on the phone, even though you are home. And it's over and over, all these little subtle things where they're going, well, it's not quite, I mean, I bent the truth, but I didn't quite break it. Uh, you know, I stepped outside when I told them to tell them that I wasn't home. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I didn't listen to the message. They don't know I didn't listen to the message. I didn't, I didn't know you called. All the little things we say, and Jesus said, when Satan speaks, he's lying. And these guys had the habit of lying or twisting, twisting the truth. And they would say they didn't quite, we didn't break the truth. We just didn't tell you everything about the truth. We didn't, we, we didn't quite break it. And Jesus is telling them, when Satan is there, he lies. And you're being like him. And he is the father of lies. All right. How can he say that? Because Satan brought in sin by be his pride in heaven not being happy with his position right he was the chief angel in heaven next to god i mean you know it was the father son and spirit and then there was lucifer i mean that's what we understand the scriptures he was the chief angel and he wasn't happy with his position now was he not happy was it the creation of man that broke him into not being happy we don't know because there's always been that statement that man was going to be higher than the angels in the end. And maybe he found out that there, you know, these insignificant things crawling on, this, on that planet down there are going to be above me, who's been here leading the worship of the angels, you know, and not happy. We don't know what triggered that, and it quite very well could be that man was created. And he's going, I'm, not, I'm never going to serve those, those things. I'm, you know, those things down there, they're, they're physical, they're not spiritual. I'm never going to serve, serve them and led into his rebellion. We don't know. But he rebelled and said, I will be like the Most High. And he, he rebelled and was the father of all the evil. And then Jesus said, and because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And this is funny. Have you ever tried to tell the truth to somebody who is basically a liar and they won't believe you? You know, you know that they lie a lot and then you're telling them the truth and they just won't believe that you are speaking truth. And it is an amazing thing to me that the more people drift away from truth, the less they will believe in truth. Mostly because they have no understanding of what truth is. And they really do get to what we're being taught in our world. There is no absolute truth. And if there is no absolute truth, then I can believe whatever I want to believe and I am right. And the further they drift away from truth, the more they, do, they believe that their truth is truth. And the more we draw toward God in truth, the more we start understanding truth and being able to identify lies. And this is the good news for us. When we start getting into more and more of God and his spiritual truth, the lies start becoming obvious to us. And it's like, how can you believe that? I mean, I don't even know how to disprove it, but that just sounds like a lie. And it's very much what happens. The more we're in God, the more we understand truth, the more we follow truth, and the more we recognize a lie.
And this is, if you've heard the story, when, when they teach treasury agents to be able to identify counterfeit bills, what do they do? They go for about six months to two years, and all they do is touch good bills. And then when they go through their test, they put in one bad bill. And they're not being taught, well, you look at the serial number, you look at the strip, you look, you know, you, you know they're not being taught all the signs, and yes, they know them. You know, they are taught what the signs are to look for. But they're so used to the real that when all of a sudden they touch and they even touch or see that fake bill, it's like something's wrong. And then they can look at it closer and going, oh, yeah, it doesn't have the right serial number. It doesn't have the strip across the center. The paper's not right. And all of a sudden, why can they do that? Because they know the real. How do we recognize spiritual inaccuracies? We know the real truth. And we get to know it so well that when a lie comes across, it's like, okay, don't know what was wrong with that statement. Let me analyze it. Oh, yes, that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong. But just hearing the wrong statement, reading the wrong statement, sets off the bells and says, I need to look at this closer and find out why it's not right. And this is very important, and this is what Jesus is saying. You don't even know the truth. You are so wrapped up in your lies that when you hear the truth, you do not understand truth. And this is, and I, I've dealt with a couple of people like this in my lifetime, that just so much into lies that, you know, you knew that they were lying. If they were talking, they were lying. And if you told them the truth, they did not understand truth because they had been so built up in the lies that they'd ceased to be able to understand truth. And it's a very interesting dilemma. The more we get into truth, the more we recognize lies. The more we get into lies, the less we recognize truth. And so it's, it is just the way it is, which is why the world does not understand the truth of God before they get saved and have the Spirit living in them to identify truth because they are buying into all the lies that they're being taught. And this is what Jesus is telling these, these leaders and then it says, which of you convicts, convinces or rebukes me of sin? So who, who among you is, is calling me a sinner? <laughs> He's challenging them. Tell me, tell me what I have said wrong. Now, remember this whole chapter, he's been declaring that I am God in very subtle ways. So their accusation is going to be, well, you claim to be God. And if anybody else other than Jesus had made the statement, I am God, then they would have been a liar and a cheat and a, and, a, and a devil. But Jesus is God, so therefore when he said that he is God, he was telling the truth. But they don't recognize it because everything he's saying just irritates them. You know, and it's, it's funny, if you've ever dealt with somebody who thinks they know everything, and you correct them and even if you are right in your correction they don't listen mm -hmm. and you have a choice to sit there and argue with them or just back off and say God you you deal with it uh, I have lots of family members that most of them are dead now but I've had lots of family members that were that way they were always right even when they were wrong they were right and you could make a point to them a very good solid point and you would still be wrong and I just learned back a long time ago, just back off and, you know, it's either that or argue with them the, the entire time I was with them. And I wasn't willing to argue with them. I wanted to have some kind of relationship with them. They were family. And it's hard. It's hard to back off from somebody and say, okay, well, and again, it goes back to what I say. Everybody has the right to be wrong. You know, they stand or fall before God, not me. And so this is very important as we go. Uh, verse uh, 47 says, uh, oh, and the second half of 46 says, and if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? All right? He's going, you guys claim to know the truth. I'm telling you truth, and you don't believe me. Pretty strong language. Uh, and he says, he that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not because you are not of God. And remember, who is he talking to? The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the priests. These are supposed to be the religious leaders who know God. And he's saying, you do not hear the truth because you are not of God. In our world today, the church has so much apostasy in it right now that there are many pastors who that statement belongs to. 
They do not know the truth because they do not know God. And it's sad to say, and you listen to some of them on the, especially on the TV evangelists, but even every once in a while on the radio evangelists, you hear somebody saying dumb things that have nothing to do with God. And you're going, and you call yourself a pastor. You go and visit some of these churches and, and none of them, many of them don't pick up a Bible even to read. Or they read a verse in the Bible and then give you a message that has nothing to do at all with the verses they're reading. And it's like, what are you, do, what are you telling us? Where are you coming from? And there are certain denominations that have gone so far off that you're going to be hard-pressed to find a good pastor in some of those denominations. And we need to be very careful about who we listen to as our teachers. Now, when you, when you find a good church, be faithful to that church because you don't know how rare it is to have a good teacher. There are so many churches out there that do not have good, solid, biblical teaching. And we need to be very careful about who it is that we're listening to because it's easy to be led astray. Very easy to be led astray. Verse 48 it says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that you are a Samaritan and have a devil? Now this is kind of an interesting statement. We don't fully grasp what they're saying here, but they have just made a racial slur to Jesus by their, by their statement. All right? We could use any of our derogatory names for nationalities. This is what they just did to Jesus. They go, okay, you're a Hebrew, but you're really a Samaritan. All right? Uh, Samaritans were, if you, if you remember, they were the half-breeds. The Jews did not recognize them as being Jews. When Nebuchadnezzar took the Jewish people out. He left the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor in the land, brought in other people from other nations, and those lowest of the low interbred with the people from the other nations, and then they mixed Judaism with their foreign religions and built this kind of strange religious system, and they were not pure Jews, and they were not, and their religion wasn't pure. And when, they came, when the people came back into the land, they looked at them and going, you know, what a bunch of half-breeds. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And uh, they were not allowed to help rebuild Jerusalem. They weren't allowed, you know, they looked at them and said, you are not Jewish at all. And these leaders are looking at Jesus and saying, basically, you're not a Jew. All right? You're not a Jew at all. How can, you're, you're, you're just a Samaritan. All right? Uh, I'm not going to say any of the derogatory terms, but you all know it there. His birth? Not so much about that because it, he, they're, they're calling him a half-breed. It would be like, uh, and I, you, you all know the derogatory names for the different, different uh, nationalities. That's what they just did to him. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, they just called him, you know, any one of those terms that we would look at, and I don't want to say them just because it's not, it's not the language that I use. But you know, uh, you know, we have names for for uh, black people and, and Mexicans and all this. You know, this is this is what they've done to him. They in in the sanctuary, they have just used a racial slur against him and saying you're not even worthy to, you really aren't worthy to be here because you're not really a Jew. You know, in your attitude. Those hard words that go, you have no respectability in, your, in this. All right, that's what they've done to him. You know, you are, you are a Samaritan. All right, you know, you're, you're not even worthy of the title Jew. And they have really used a very harsh language, and we don't really see it in, in our day because we don't understand it the way they said it. But this is a hard racial slur against him. All right, you're not even, you're not even, we don't even recognize in you as a Jew. You're below our contempt. And, and then on, beyond that, beyond this, the racial slur, they go, and you have a devil. Mm-hmm. We're not recognizing you as a person worth anything. But by the way, we don't even know why you're in the temple because you have a devil in you. This is quite an attack against him as they're looking at him. They are attacking him personally rather than what he's saying. What this means, if you've ever done any kind of debating or anything, that means they've lost the debate. 
If you're in a good argument or a debate, uh, discussion, I guess, rather than argument, uh, debate, when you're back and forth with facts, you stick with facts. When you don't have an argument against them, you try to attack the person and make them look bad, which is what's going on in our world today all the time. Give the facts. And if you're, if you're in that place, don't ever get to the place where you're attacking the person and not what they believe. You go after what they believe and you go after facts about what they believe, not the person. And this is very important. And the leaders here have lost the argument and they've proved it because they're now going after him and his personal reputation and his personal life rather than going after what he's saying. Jesus, he j now, you might say Jesus started, but he's actually making a point. He goes, you are the liars. You are, you are not following God. You are not his. And he's making a factual statement, even though they don't like what they're hearing. And so they attack him personally. And verse 49 says, Jesus says, I, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeks and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. So Jesus answers them very simply. I don't have a devil. Anytime we see somebody with a devil, we see things that are irrational coming out of them. Their speech, their actions, their emotions become very, very irrational. Jesus is saying, I don't have a devil. I'm being very rational. I'm being very sane. I'm not going crazy. <laughs> uh, if you've ever seen anybody that has a devil in them, it is a bizarre situation. And there's only one that I've ever met that I'm pretty sure they had a devil in them, though not absolute because of their actions. Their actions were crazy. Their speech was crazy. Their actions were crazy. They would fly off the handle in a, in a, in a drop of a hat and, and say and do crazy, vicious stuff. And so Jesus is going, I'm not like that. But he goes, I seek not my, uh, and you do, dis, you do dishonor me or show contempt. He goes, you're being contemptuous to me, even though I come from the Father. He says, I seek not my own glory, but there is one that seeks, seeks and judges. What ends up happening with most people that aren't following God? You have to seek somebody's glory. And whose glory are you usually going to seek if you're not seeking God's glory? Your own glory. You know, or some other temporal thing. But usually it's your own glory. You know, I've met people that are so proud of being humble that they, they take pride in their humility. Right? They're glorifying themselves. You know, look how I, I, don't, I don't push, my, I don't push my, myself at all. Not at ever. I'm never, I'm never going to push myself. Uh-huh. You're showing a lot of pride <laughs> in, not, in not doing that. And the problem with us in the flesh is we want ourselves to be recognized. I've got money. I've got fame. I've got, you know, uh, a good, good job, a good, good at something, and I'm going to talk about what I'm good at, even if it's my humility. I'm going to talk about how good and humble I am. And Jesus says, I'm not looking for my own glory. All he ever wanted to do was glorify the Father. And this is what's important for us. If we are truly going to follow God, our goal should be to glorify him, not ourselves. And I've said this many times, my job is real simple as a pastor. I build God's kingdom, and then God takes care of building the church. Right? If I'm worried about building this church so I can have a big name and say, hey, look at all the people I've got in this church, then I've got my glory and, and, I, and it's me. But if I'm building up God, God will do what he wants with the church. And that's his job. And we just need to keep in mind, our job is to serve God and to glorify God. His job is to do whatever he wants with his servants. And the problem is we don't usually look at ourselves as his servants. And knowing that he is going to do with us as he wants to. Because we'll look at it and say, well, I didn't get the recognition that I wanted when I was, you know, teaching that class or doing that job. And nobody noticed that I did it. Well, did you do it for God or did you do it to be noticed? 
And this is very important for us. Who are we seeking to glorify? Who are we seeking to build up? And do we truly realize that we are God's servants? So that if we get sick, we lose a job, we, we lose possessions, and we're going, God, you don't love me anymore. I don't understand why, and I'm just so unhappy because nothing's going my way. And God's saying, are you my servant glorifying me and taking what I bring to you, which is for your good even though you don't know it? Or are you going to sit there and complain that you didn't get what you thought you deserved? And very important for us to understand why are we here? Why are we serving God? You know, if some of us were behind the Iron Curtain, especially American Christians, we would fold like a house of cards. Because every time we spoke Jesus' name, we'd end up in prison. And then we'd be crying about being in prison. Because we didn't deserve it. We were just honoring God. And God says, well, this is what, what, what comes your way. We need to be able to understand that we are his servants. And then in the Lord's Prayer, he says that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, God's will, not my will, not what I think is best, because I have very limited understanding. I don't know what's happening tomorrow. I don't know what's happening in the next minute. I don't know what's happening in a decade from now or a century from now or a millennia from now. God knows that stuff, and he has the plan to use whatever goes on even today in the future. How many times if, we, if you do study or you look at history, do you find things that are still recorded that are very valuable to us? I still read from preachers back 100 years ago, back from you know 2,000 years ago. Why? Because God used them to say things that they probably didn't even think were that great. They just said it and they're still being quoted to this day. You know, where is our look? Where are we looking at and what are we following? Are we trying to demand our glory or God's glory? And this is Jesus telling them, I'm not looking for my glory. I'm only looking to glorify the Father. And he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. If you are truly the disciple of Jesus, obeying Jesus, he's in your life, he has saved you, and you're going to go to heaven. Now, this is something that the leaders are not going to accept. They do not, especially the Sadducees, because they don't believe in the resurrection anyway. They don't believe in spiritual life. They don't believe in the afterlife. So they're going to have trouble with this whole statement. You know, well, we know everybody dies. Well, yes, everybody dies physically. And this is very important for us to understand. Then verse 52, Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets and you say if a man keep my sayings he shall never de taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham which is dead and the prophets are dead which whom you make your whom you make your you yourself. And Jesus answered if I honor myself my honor is nothing it is my father that honors honoreth me of whom you say that you that he is your god. Yet you have not known him but I know him, and if I should say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So here we go again. First off they go, now we know that you are a devil or, or crazy at least. Abraham is dead, the prophets. And, and you say if any man... Keep my sayings, he shall never taste death. What are they saying? Abraham, our great patriarch, is dead. A man of faith. And he's known for his faith. Even though he had many problems, he wasn't the greatest walker of God at times. You know, he told Sarah to, to tell, uh, tell the two kings the two, on two separate occasions, you know, I'm, we're not married, I, I'm his sister, which she was his half-sister, so it was a half-truth, it just wasn't the whole truth. And so they would lie to these guys and then they would take her in the harem and then God would have to step in to keep them from sleeping with her and committing adultery. And, you know, and it wasn't the only place where he had... He wasn't the, a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, but he is recognized even by them. He is the father of Judaism. He was called out of the Ur of Chaldees to, to leave his family 
And again, we don't understand the significance of even that statement because we leave our families all the time in our day and age. Back then, you didn't leave, you didn't go very far from your family because that meant starting all over and not having the protection. They did not have police forces and, and fire departments. You left your family, you were alone. You were only as strong as your family could become. And so you didn't leave your family. You needed your brothers and uncles and, and dad right there to help you so that if things went bad, you had help. If somebody came to attack you, you had help. And he was called to leave with practically nothing when he left. And so that was a big deal, and it was, took a lot of faith. And he goes, Abraham's dead. The prophets are dead. Now, at this point, Jesus could have said, yeah, and you killed most of them because they had the habit of killing the prophets. But the ones that didn't get killed, they're still dead. All right? They still ended up dead. And they're going, and you're saying, if any man keeps my sayings, he shall not die. Implication. We've been obeying Abraham. We've been obeying Moses. We're, we're, we think we're obeying the prophets. And, and they died, and, we're going, and we think we're going to die. And then you're placing yourself above them. And that's their next statement. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? Now, this is a rhetorical question to Jesus in their minds, but the answer to this when Jesus could have answered it is, yes, I am. I am greater than Abraham. And he's going to say that at the end of the chapter, but, uh, but if he had said it at that point, they would have t- picked up stones to stone him because now he's claiming to be greater than Abraham. And Abraham is one of the great, the greats, all right? Uh, he is even more important than for Americans saying, you know, you know uh, George Washington or uh, Thomas Jefferson, you know, Abraham is the great one in their, in their great. He is the founder of their family. He is the one that the promise was given that, you know, your generation, your, your descendants still number as the sand of the sea or as the stars of the heaven, uh, through you all the nations will be blessed and, and, and they know that these blessings went to Abraham and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were their, their big three the founding fathers of their, of, their nation, of, their, of their nation even though by the time Jacob dies there's, there, there is only uh, 12 sons one daughter and when they went into Egypt there were 72 people in the nation of Egypt uh, Israel 72 people. They're going to leave Egypt with over 3 million people in just a few, few generations. So a big difference, but everything backs down to Abraham. Abraham was told to circumcise himself and his children on the eighth day, and from that point on, they followed that, that rule. So all these things, Abraham is the big deal, and they're going, and in verse 30, uh, 53, are you greater than our father Abraham? Now, they don't give Jesus an an- time to answer that. And, but he goes, and the prophets which are dead, whom make you yourself? In other words, they're saying you're claiming to be a prophet. Nowhere in this discussion is Jesus claimed to be a prophet. He has claimed to be God. They're lowering their whole attitude of him. Well, you just think you're a prophet. And that's all we're going to recognize you as, as a prophet. And we're having trouble with that one at this, with these statements. You know, and by the way, do you think you're more important than Abraham, the founder of our, of our entire nation? So they go from Abraham, the founder, down to, okay, well, at least maybe, maybe a prophet. But, you know, are you greater than the other prophets that you're trying to make yourself part of? You know, you can hear the hatred out of their voices. You know, you're, you're saying that you're something special, and we're not recognizing that you are something special. And then Jesus says, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. He said, and he said this earlier in this chapter. He goes, if I, if I give myself glory, then my glory is nothing. He goes, if I'm giving myself honor, then it is nothing. And we know that this is a true statement. Anytime somebody tries to build themselves up, there's usually some reason why they're not being recognized. All right? And I've seen this many times when I was in the business world. Well, I'm the manager, or I'm the area supervisor, or I'm the, I was put in charge. I have a title here, and you've got to respect my title. And I'm going, well, if you really deserve the title, then you wouldn't need to be telling me that, that this is who you are. 
Now, I'm not saying you go up to the customer and say, oh, I'm the manager, how can I help you? I'm, no, I'm saying, there are people that will just say, well, you need to listen to me because I am this position. If you have to tell your, your common workers with you who you are, then you've got a problem. You cannot run by a title. And Jesus is telling them, if, if I'm building my own honor, it means nothing. Who's building his honor? The people that are listening to him. The people that are literally listening to him are giving him the honor, giving him to the position, giving him the authority. The rest of them are like, you know, the ones who are in authority, who are being challenged, they're not recognizing him. And they're saying, you know, and he goes, if I give, it is my father that honors me, of whom you say he is your God. So again, he's going back to claiming that God is his father. For, for us, it doesn't mean as much as what they're hearing because what they're hearing is, I'm Messiah. All right? He hasn't really come out and said he's Messiah yet in, in the John here because we haven't got to the triumphant entry, but he is saying, I'm Messiah. God is my Father. That is part of the Messianic promises that the Messiah would be the Son of God. Now, they took it as spiritual rather than literal, so they're not quite ready to stone him at this point though he's coming really close. He is my father. And again, the Jews did not look at God as father. They, they saw God as a demanding slave driver. He gave them 613 rules to obey, and if you didn't obey those rules, you were punished. And if you obeyed those rules, which you couldn't do anyway, you would be, you would be blessed. They did not see a God of love. They did not understand a God that wanted to be with them. Much of religion everywhere is based on that kind of an idea that there's a deity or, or an entity or whatever that is expecting you to be obedient to the rules they set up. And if you're not obedient to those rules, they will judge you. This is why Christianity is so different because we are in a relationship with a God who loves us and paid our debt. And that's the beauty of it. We have a totally different relationship with God than any other religion does. Because Jesus came to this world, paid our sins so that we accept that gift that he gives us. We now are in a relationship, a love relationship with God. Not a fear relationship with God. Well, I sure hope I don't do anything bad because then God's going to smack me upside the head with a two by four. Now, he will do that occasionally if we need, need his attention, but you understand, you know, let's say the picture most people have, God's up in heaven with lightning bolts ready to throw lightning bolts at us. All right? Uh, or as I've said, you know, a lot of people are afraid of, so afraid of God, they're afraid to do anything because they're afraid he's going to smack them over the head and play, play, play whack a Christian with them. <laughs> stick my head up out of the hole and get hit with a hammer because I dared to stick my head up out of, the, out of it. And we laugh about that, but you know, there's a lot of people that have that kind of opinion about God. I'm just afraid that if I do anything that he's not going to like, I am going to be really in trouble. Why? Because they don't understand the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. If that was God's attitude, Jesus would never have come to this world. Why would he have died for people just so he can be able to pick on them all the time for not being perfect? Because we're not perfect. And he says we're not perfect. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet so many times, even good Christians believe that they're saved by grace and they keep themselves by work. That's a sad place to be. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. We will get into heaven by grace. Even if I've been following God for a thousand years, I'm still saved by grace and I may be closer and closer to perfection, but I will never be good enough to deserve anything from God, even if I could live a long, long life. And this is something that's important. It's always grace. Always. And we need to understand it's always grace for me and it's always grace for everybody else. And that would change us. If we truly understood the grace of God, how would we deal with other Christians and other people? And even non-Christians. If I truly understand God's grace, I deal differently with people. Because God has given me so much grace, I give them grace. Because they stand or fall before God. And I say that a lot because that's really what it amounts to. 
I am nobody's judge. Now, it doesn't mean I don't tell people what God says about their sin or anything, but I am not their judge. They stand or fall before God, what God is with them. And, you know, I will say, you know, we're not to lie, we're not to steal, we're not to commit murder, we're not to commit adultery, fornication, homosexuality, idolatry, plain and simple. We're not to do those. Those are God's rules. But my business is not, well, I don't know why you're over there doing that kind of stuff. You know, how come you're doing, that's not my job. My job as a Christian is to say, this is what God says. Are you doing, you know, what are you doing between you and God is between you and God. Real simple. But I also need it done to me every once in a while. You know, why are you, you know, this is what God says. And believe me, I get a lot of it. I like listening to messages on the, on the radio and it doesn't, it always surprises me when God arranges for them to be talking to me all week long. You know, uh, you know and it's like, how did they know? And I know they don't know. We're a work in progress. <laughs> We're always a work in progress. This is true. We are a work in progress. But that doesn't excuse us for doing sins. Because I've heard people go, well, I'm just a work in progress. Well, I understand, but you still need to be progressing. <laughs> you know, you're, not a, you're not a work that has been stopped for 20 years. <laughs> when somebody doesn't grow at all, then you're going to go, does this person really know God? Because I cannot stand still. And I don't believe you can ever stand still. You're either, standing st you're, you're either going forward with God or you're drifting backwards from God. And there's no, no standing still. Uh, if you've ever been in a canoe or a boat or something on a, on a river or lake, you don't sit still. You're going somewhere. You're either going where you're taking you or you're going wherever the river, river takes you. And that's a big problem that we have. Verse 55 says, If you had known, uh, you, yet you have not known him, Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And, it, and if I should say that I knew him not, then I would be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Right? In other words, he's saying, you don't even know God. You don't know God. I have talked to several people over, over many, many decades. And it's some of them, you just, you're starting to talk to them and you're going, this person doesn't know God. You know, they don't know anything. And it's really sad when you come across that. I've shared with you all, the only time I was ever scared teaching a Sunday school class was when I was 30-something and I was put in charge, I was told to teach the class of 60-plus. And I'm thinking, these guys are the deacons, they've been the Sunday school teachers and all of these things. So I studied and I studied and I studied and I studied. I think I studied 40 hours for that one-hour class. <laughs> Because I was afraid. I literally was afraid that these guys were going to know more than me, tear me apart. I made a statement that I thought, I wasn't even planning to teach on it. And I don't remember what the statement was, but to me it was a kindergarten statement. All right? And I made this statement, and I'm moving on, and one of the guys raised their hand and says, would you explain what you just said? And I was like, you've got to be kidding. These guys who have been Christians for longer than I have been alive don't know the basics. And it shocked me because that's not what I was used to. But it is a true statement that there are so many Christians out there, there's many of them have been Christians for a long time that have never studied the Word of God, never looked at it. You know, they know a little bit about it, they know some facts, they know, they know some information, but they don't know truth they don't know reality of spiritual things and then he says your father abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad now this is kind of an interesting statement he's talking to these people at about 30 34 or so 30 30 a.d and he's saying abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and when did he see Jesus? Well, he saw Jesus on a couple of occasions when he met Melchizedek after the Battle of the Seven Kings. And he saw Jesus when, when he came and told him, what are we going to do in, uh, when it, uh, to, to Sodom and Gomorrah? He saw Jesus when he was outside the tent telling him that Sarah was going to have a child you know, by that time next year. He saw Jesus on more than one occasion. And he says, and when he saw me, he rejoiced. And you're seeing me, and you're not rejoicing, and you're telling me he's your father. 
You don't understand. He just saw things from the spiritual side and you don't even recognize it and you are not understanding this. You do not know truth because they are so wrapped up in their tradition and their, and their regulations and their activities that they don't know God. And this is true in so many people. They get so wrapped up on what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed, or how am I supposed to do it? I, I hate that statement. How am I supposed to, to relate to God? Well, you're going to study, study the Bible. How do I study the Bible? Well, I can give you the basics of how to study the Bible, but everybody's going to study the Bible slightly differently. How do I pray? There's really no one way to pray. How do you have conversations with your friends? Yeah. I mean, I don't even have the same type of conversation with different friends because there's different levels of conversation with each one of them. Each person's going to have a different communication with God in prayer because it's how close are they to him? How much do they trust him? When you first start praying to God, you're not going to be very trusting on him because you're not sure of your trust level with him. The more you get to know him and the more you get to count on him, the more you're going to realize, I can tell God anything. He already knows it anyway, so I can tell, I can tell him anything. But how many people play it really safe? You know, I can't, I can't tell God that. Why not? He already knows you thought it. Why can't you tell him? So we got this. I'm going to finish this up. We're almost done. So, um, And he says, When your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad... Verse 57, and the Jews said unto him, you are not yet 50 years old. How, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the, of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So their answer is, well, you're saying that Abraham saw you, right? We're, make it easy, we're at zero Zero, you know, a few years past zero. There's no such thing as zero. But Abraham lived at a, about 1,500 years before that. Maybe 2,000 years before that. Um, at that time, 60, 70, 80. Uh, but, they're, but they're going, and I'm surprised I said 50. You know, you're, you're not even 50 years old yet. He's only 30-something. You know, and you're saying you saw Abraham? You're not even old enough to be senile. <laughs> All right. You're not even old enough to start being senile. And you're telling us you saw Abraham. That Abraham saw you. All right. Abraham lived some 2,000 years ago, 2,400 years ago, something like that. And you're saying you saw Abraham and Abraham saw you. Uh, and now they're going to go back to this. We know you're crazy idea. And this is the most, and this is the one statement that if you want to show anybody who says Jesus never claimed to be God, this statement that he makes in John chapter 8, verse 58, is him claiming to be God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Okay? Many cases on the number one, he's saying that I'm older than Abraham right off the bat. I am older than Abraham. But to the Jewish people, he said, I am they're going back to Moses at the burning bush when they said, when Moses said, who shall I say that sent me? And he says, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. I am. I am the eternal one. I am outside of time. Jesus is saying, before Abraham was even born, I am. All right. So this is a clear statement that Jesus claimed to be God. As, I mean, he hedged it for all of this chapter. But on this one, he comes straight out and says, I'm God. All right? Now, he didn't say, I'm God, but he said, I am, which is in the Jewish mindset is, he claimed to be God. There is no way. And how do we know that he did that? Because you look at the verse 59, and they took up stones to cast at him. He had just claimed to be God, and that is blasphemy as far as they're concerned. And they're under Roman rule. You do not kill somebody in the, under the Roman rule, but he has just claimed to be God. And they're so angry about it, they're going to stone him. They knew what he said. They had no doubt that he had just claimed to be God. Now, we, we have to this day's world, everybody going, well, he never said he was God. Yes. 
All through this chapter, he's claimed to be God on various statements that we don't pick up because we're Gentiles. But this one is very clear. Before Abraham was, I am. I'm here now, but I'm also way back then, before Abraham was, I am. And so he's very clearly claiming, I am God, and the people are ready to stone him. And I don't know if it was just the leaders or the whole people, but they got ready to stone him. And I love that. And he left the temple, and he hid himself, went out of the temple, through the midst of them, and so passed by. This makes it sound like he just became kind of invisible and walked, walked through them. They, it was obscured. His, his appearance was obscured, and he just walked right through the middle of the crowd. And he's the center of attention. How does the center of attention walk through the crowd and get away from it? You know, it's, it doesn't happen. This was a supernatural event that he just walked out. Why? Because it wasn't his time to die. He had not gone to the triumphant entry. He had not gone to be the Passover lamb. He was not going to the cross, which he knew was where he was. And the father did not let him get killed at this point. It was not the right time, and he just let him walk through the middle of a crowd. And I, I just think about that. He is the center of everybody's looking at him, and he walks right through the crowd to get away. It wasn't. It doesn't say he was translated. You know, he wasn't beamed out of the temple to go somewhere else. He walked through the midst of the crowd because it wasn't the right time. The point I want to make on this is for us. It's been said, and I agree, we are invincible until God says we're done. We will not die until God says it's time for us to die. No matter how much fear we might have, no matter how we've been looking at things, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not die in the fiery furnace because it was not their time. Daniel did not die in the lion's den because it wasn't his time to die. And people go, well, the lions weren't hungry. Well, they sure were hungry when, when all the other leaders and their families were thrown in and they didn't even hit the bottom of the pit and were torn up. Those lions were hungry. God closed their mouths, just like Daniel said. God closed the mouths of the lion. They could not eat him. They could not tear him apart because it wasn't his time. And over and over through the scriptures, if it's not our time, nothing can happen to us. Now, the problem for us is we don't know if it's our time or not. <laughs> All right. The only thing we can say is when it is my time, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the Father. And that's the good news for us. When it is our time, we're in heaven. Stephen, being stoned by the people, said, he looked up and he said, I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father waiting for me. Or standing at the right hand of the Father waiting for me. And he also said what Jesus said, Father, forgive them. You know, he understood God's love. He understood the grace. For us, is that our understanding? Do we truly trust God in all situations that we are his servants doing his will and the more we recognize that the better off we're going to be because a servant doesn't sit there and complain about all the stuff they're told to do now we don't really have servants in this but even employees you know when I was an employee I did what I was told to do I have employees under me that I, I had never entered in my mind to question everything I was ever told to do and I've got certain employees, they question everything. I need you to go fill this report out. Why? Because it's your job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they know it's their job. <laughs> and they still question why they have to do their job. It never entered my mind to question why I was being told to do it. I want you to go clean the grease trap, the dirtiest job you can do in a restaurant. All right, I guess that's my job today. Why don't you go clean the bathrooms? Why? I didn't mess them up. Wow. You know, they never, you know, granted, it was a dirty job, but somebody has to do it, and, you know, somebody had to be picked to do it. And are we looking at God and saying, God, I only want to do this job or this job, but don't ask me to do these jobs over here. Those are beneath me. We need to be able to understand that the servant does what needs to be done. All right? And there isn't anything in the church that I haven't done at least once or twice in here. Cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning the, cleaning the, the refrigerator, the <laughs> ovens, the floors. The, you know, it doesn't matter. Why? Because I look at God and say, God, it has to be done. It represents you. 
and I want to do it. What job can God ask you to do that is beneath you? If you're truly his servant, there should be nothing that he, that he can ask you to do that is beneath you. Lord, we ask you to be with us. Help us to just learn to be your servants, to trust you in all that you do and to lean on you and to understand that you have our best good in mind. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.